0: Welcome back to Cross Defense. I am your host, the Reverend Tyrell Bramwell. It is a pleasure to be with you today. Thanks for tuning in to this episode where we are looking at adoptionism. Adoptionism is an ancient heresy, and it's important that we know what has been falsely taught in the name of Christ in the past so that we know how we can guard ourselves against it when it pops up in our present or in the future and uh, you know these things always do rear their ugly heads they don't ever seem to go fully away they can be suppressed for a time but the devil likes to he's not a creative guy that that devil he's he's not a you know he he figured out what works and he likes to repristinate these old these old lies and these these old maneuvers and he just refashions them retools them repurposes them and he sends them back out there and we're like oh something new um, but no it's the same old same old faithful pastors Love to look into history. Love to look back in time to see what the church has always taught. This is called orthodoxy. What has the church always stood for? Stood on? What has it always confessed in the name of Christ? Faithful pastors love to look back in the past to make sure to guard themselves to make sure that they are not teaching something falsely. What is the church? Always taught? What have my predecessors taught? What did what did the forefathers of the faith teach? And how did how did they guard the flock that they were entrusted to oversee? How did they guard them from false teaching, from ravenous wolves trying to enter in? That's what we're going to be doing when we look at heresies then and now. This little segment will pop up from time to time. We'll have shows dedicated to ancient heresies, and where we can find them today. So, adoptionism is going to be our first one. Kind of makes sense to start in the A's, doesn't it? We'll work our way through the alphabet, <laughs> if that's how it works out. And uh, we will take a look at adoptionism, where it came from, and where it is today. I'll give you a little spoiler alert. We can find adoptionists alive and well, well, not well, alive and active, They're <laughs> definitely not well, in the Unitarian churches, and I use that phrase very loosely In the Unitarian groups or fellowships, I think that's fair to say Unitarian fellowships. So yeah, we're looking at adoptionism today. But before we get too far down the adoptionist road, let me uh, make sure we all understand what a heresy is. I don't want to make any assumptions. You know what they say about people who assume things. So uh, first, let's define this word heresy. A heresy is a teaching or a doctrine. Doctrine is just the same word as teaching. It is it's a fancier word. You you come across it in the church more often, but doctrine simply means teaching. So it's a teaching, a doctrine, or an opinion, someone's view or a, a group of people's view that's at variance with the established standard. That's that's the definition of a heresy. It's it's what goes against the orthodox, the the normal, the the expected standard of the teaching of the church. So for for the church, Holy Scripture is that established standard. The 66 books of the Old and New Testament that we commonly refer to as the Holy Bible are our established standard. This is what we take every teaching back to. Does it align itself with God's Word, with Scripture? If not, it's out the bible is our rule and norm it is the sole judge of everything that is said in the name of christ in the name of god right so this is our established standard the bible anything that contradicts the bible goes against the bible distorts the bible is heresy it is a teaching or doctrine an opinion you may have, your your neighbor may have, that is a heretical opinion. Does that make you a heretic? Well, only if you hold on to that even after you've been corrected, even after you've been shown from Scripture that your view is false. See, we need to be fluid enough, that's a catchy buzzword, right? Fluid enough to adjust our view according to Scripture when we have realized that we've gone astray. And trust me, my friends, we are sinners. We are always going to go astray. That's why we have the established standard of scripture, and that's why Christ instituted the office of the holy ministry through the apostles, handed down to the pastors to keep us on the right track. And pastors, too, need to be kept on the right track. That's why we have this economy that we call the church, with people who are called into vocations, whether it be the the preacher or the listener these various vocations that keep us on the straight and narrow, that keep us in God's flock, in his word. This is what Paul says in Second Timothy 3.16 to this point. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God, you, Christian, may be complete, equipped, For every good work. So, if a teaching or someone's opinion is at variance with Scripture, it is heretical, heresy. Now, this word comes originally from the Greek, heresis, and I find it extremely interesting, this definition. In our day and age, in our climate, the Greek definition means to take or choose for oneself opinion. All right, that makes sense but to choose for oneself, the language of choice. This is one of the premier American gods, the false god of choice, my body, my choice, pro-choice. You're taking away my freedom to choose, right? Choice. Choice, 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 choice is the American spirit, isn't it? We all want the freedom to choose, and we all want to be considered free thinkers, forming our own opinions. It's, it's actually villainized to not be one of these free thinkers. To go with the flow is villainized. Well, not if that flow is the stream of Scripture carried by the current of the Holy Spirit moving us with what God says. In that case, going with the flow is a great thing. Not being a free thinker. Having your reason be subject to God's word is a great thing. Having ministerial reason, as we would say in the church, not magisterial. Your intellect, your views, being subservient to, submitted to God's word. The Bible being placed over your reason, shaping your reason. This is how we want to do things. And so if that's the case, being a free thinker is not what the Christian wants to do. Is everyone supposed to do what is right in his own eyes? That's the way the Bible puts it in Judges 21, 25, and in other places as well. Uh, God's people were doing what was right in their own eyes, and that's a phrase that refers to them doing what is contrary to God's eyes, what God would have them do. God's view, right? this language of vision, view, one's eyes. Everyone was doing what was right in his own eyes. We're not supposed to be like that as Christians. We're supposed to be doing what is right in God's eyes. I may want to do something, and that's why I have the law. The law tells me, oh, that thing you want to do is a sin, and so it keeps me from wanting to do it. I mean, I still may have the temptation to do it, but now I know it's wrong, and so I curb that temptation, I see the caution sign that's thrown up in front of it, and I back away. I repent, I turn. The word repentance means to turn from the sinful thing because now I know it's sinful, and I turn back to God and His will for my life. Now Matthew 18:20 talks about this as they were, uh, you know Jesus teaches us that we observe all that He's commanded. We're not to just do whatever we want, we're to observe all that he has commanded as we go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, doing as is taught by Christ. Or as Paul taught pastors Timothy and Titus, they were to continue to what in what they had received from Scripture, holding firm to the faithful word of scripture. Go take a look at Timothy 3, uh, 2 Timothy 3:14, excuse me, and Titus 1:9 for these these references. Christian theology is not about choosing your own way, doing what's right in your own eyes, but about following Christ's way. And so Christian teachers, theologians, pastors, if they're teaching their own creative novel new uh wise, oh I figured this out, check this out, if they're if they're trying to portray this as new, beware. We're not supposed to come up with anything new. Pastors are not in the business of creating new teachings. We're in the business of going back and finding the old teachings all the way back to the apostles. Okay, so heresy, going against the established standard, the established standard, the Bible. All right, pretty simple, right? Choosing for yourself rather than letting God tell you what is right. Now on to adoptionism. For the rest of the show, we're going to look at this specific heresy known as adoptionism. Adoptionism is the false teaching that Jesus Christ was not, as we confess in the Nicene Creed, the only begotten Son of God, begotten before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father, but that Jesus Christ was God's adopted Son. Adoptionism sees Jesus as a special man with a special conscience, perhaps a special holiness that raises him to a divine status. He's He's endowed with special powers because he's such a holy person. You know, if your church has one of those really Cool old Lutheran encyclopedias. You have to go into your church's library. It's gonna look like an old dictionary. It says Lutheran encyclopedia down at big old thick volume from the fifties or so. Go grab that sucker and look up adoptionism. You're gonna to have to blow the dust off. So maybe wear one of those cool masks that we all have laying around and get ready to dust it off. Don't breathe that stuff in. Make you sneeze. But go check that sucker out and look at it. And you're gonna find. Adoptionism listed in there. Here, here's the. There's a lot in there, and it'll take you down a lot of different rabbit holes. So follow that to your heart's content. Here's the gist of what you'll find there, though. Adoptionism is the teaching that Jesus was a mere man, whose deity was only miraculous power, which the Holy Spirit endowed upon him at his baptism. See, his baptism becomes his adoption day. It wasn't that he was born. God born in the flesh, but that a man with a special holiness became God-like on his adoption day in baptism. So if we may, let us equip the mind real quick. The fancy Greek term we can encounter with this heresy is silos anthropos, and that simply means that we've already said it once in this show before, just above, mere man. Silos Anthropos, like anthropology, right? So mere man. That's the heresy, that Jesus is mere man. Jesus is not mere man. That's what makes it heretical. Jesus is both God and man, not mere man, not silos Anthropos. What does John 1, 1 to 14 say? Flip your Bibles there for me. I hope you're listening with your Bibles open. Go ahead, grab a a pencil, a piece of paper, or maybe even write in your Bible. Read, mark, and inwardly digest God's Word. John 1, 1 1-14 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life And the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. See, we are adopted as children of God right here. We get the right to be called children of God because we're adopted through Christ. But Christ was in the beginning with God. We who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son, from the Father, full of grace and truth. The Word, which was God, is God, from the very beginning, became flesh and dwelt among us. So, if you still have your Lutheran encyclopedia that you checked out from your church sitting in front of you, (laughs) you're going to find that adoptionism is classified under monarchianism. And monarchianism has some subsections as well, and it's specifically under the dynamic monarchianism section, category, because Jesus is endowed with the dunamis, the dynamism, the power. Of God. So it's dynamic monarchianism in its categorization. Now, let's take a look at how it emerged on the scene. It came about in the late second century, where it one, the late 180s, 190 AD. So it's it's in this period of time when many people are trying to sort out the mystery of the Trinity. What happens when we try to sort out things and especially something like the Trinity or the incarnation, these are some great mysteries. What happens when we try to sort these mysteries out on our own, using our own reason and intellect apart from God's word from the established standard? When we have Magisterial reason, reason that is magistrating, that is overruling over God's word, or without God's word completely, just disregarding it, is we end up being a heretic. We end up with heresy when we try to connect the dots for ourselves. We do this, man has done this so much through history because sometimes God just doesn't say what we want to know. His word stops short of revealing the fullness of that mystery. He allows it to remain a mystery and gives us just what we need to know for salvation. So the Trinity is one of these situations. It is a mystery that we cannot fully comprehend. That's okay. God tells us enough. He tells us that there is a Trinity in unity and unity in Trinity, that there are three persons in the Godhead. We get Father, Son, Holy Spirit. That's enough. And we get we actually get some relationship and we get some over the whole council of the 66 books of Scripture, we see some beautiful interaction with the Trinity and we get a fullness. It's not empty at all. but we just don't understand how that works. That's okay. When we try to connect those dots for ourselves, we end up, In the heresy realm. We're going to leave it right there for this first segment of the show. We're going to take a break. When we get back, I'm going to introduce you to the father of adoptionism and we're going to take a look at some of the historical events and how it was handled. So don't go away. You're listening to Cross Defense as we study adoptionism. Each weekday on The Coffee Hour with Andy and Sarah, we share and discuss stories of living boldly Lutheran. Including missionary updates, mercy work, events and topics applicable to your daily vocations, and maybe some fresh dark roast. The Coffee Hour weekdays at 9 a.m. on KFUO, underwritten by Concordia University, Wisconsin. All right, my friends, if you like church history, you're going to love this next segment. If you'd like to dig in deep to the ancient origins of these sorts of things. And to do that for this segment, we're going to rely heavily on Eusebius. Who's Eusebius? He is an ancient Christian historian, the, the, the earliest Christian historian, uh, if my memory recalls. And he is recording the events of our early history, those first few centuries in the Christian era, the New Testament era, from the apostles down to his time. And he records some amazing history. So if your church does have a copy of Lutheran Encyclopedia sitting on its shelf, it might also have a copy of Eusebius sitting on its shelf. I highly recommend, if you're into the history of these things, take a look at Eusebius and what he records. He gives us wonderful information. So now, Eusebius tells us that the father of this God-denying heresy known as adoptionism is a man called Theodotus the Fuller. Now, sometimes you'll come across his name if you're Googling him or looking him up in other historians. Sometimes he's referred to as Theodotus the Tanner, Theodotus the Shoemaker. That's his designation. You might recognize, if you're a theologian, lay or otherwise, that his name has Theo in it. And Theo is the Greek word for God, right? Theodotus means given by God, which is ironic because his teaching is not given by God, but by Satan. This is a heretic teaching demonic lies. (laughs) The irony of these things is just too much sometimes. So Theodotus, the fuller, travels from Byzantium to Rome in the late second century. And there he starts spreading his distortions of the truth, his false doctrine is heard by Christ Church in Rome, and the Bishop of Rome, Victor, excommunicates him. Yea, for Victor, as he should. End of story, right? Adoptionism is is put down. Well, we would hope, but hardly. Heresies love to hang around. As we'll see in a little bit, adoptionism is still with us, as I said in the beginning, with Unitarianism. The idea that Christ was a mere man, Silos Anthropos, lived on in Victor's day with another man, as odds would have it, by the name Theodotus. This Theodotus, sometimes known as Theodotus II, (laughs) is Theodotus the banker or Theodotus the money changer, depending on which source you're looking at. And he had a partner. He had a he was a, accompanied by a man named Asylpiadotus. That's the best I can render it. It's a big, long, complicated Greek name, but Asylpiadotus, Asylpiadotus, this sort of thing. These two guys, these two adoptionists, try to plant their own church in Rome so they could continue to teach their heresy, though their founder has been excommunicated. So Victor was Bishop of Rome for about a decade, roughly between 190 and 200 A.D., the year of our Lord. Now his successor was named Zephyrinus. Listen to this treatise in Eusebius preserved about the adoptionists. Now that you know the players, you have got to kind of have a loose handle on who's who and what's going on here, listen to this treatise. Preserved by Eusebius about the adoptionists. This is what it says. They claim that all their predecessors and the apostles themselves taught what they do, and that the true teaching was preserved until the time of Victor, the 13th bishop of Rome after Peter, but that the truth has been perverted from the time of his successor. Zephyrinus. So I'm just going to pause right there. The adoptionist claim is that this silos anthropos, mere man teaching, doctrine, is the original Christian teaching. That it goes all the way back to the apostles. Now, I'll read how the church responded to that claim in just a minute because that's important to note as well. But first, let's acknowledge a detail here. The adoptionist heresy predates the Council of Nicaea. That's the council where we get the biblically accurate and ecumenical Nicene Creed that confesses Jesus is the only begotten Son of God, begotten before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten not made being of one substance with the Father. One substance. God's substance with the Father. Now, as you may know, this Council of Nicaea was in large part the result of confronting the Arian heresy. And this is why the Nicene Creed has such a long second article dealing with the second person of the Trinity, Christ. Christ establishing just who he is biblically according to our established standard of the Bible. Now, we'll, we'll deal with the Arian heresy later. If we're going alphabetically, it's going to be coming up <laughs> soon. But you might say, well, okay, hold on. Adoptionism claims that the teaching goes back before Zephyrinus, it's definitely before the Council of Nicaea. Maybe, well, maybe there's some truth to their claim. Maybe it really was the right teaching until a Roman bishop squashed it. I mean, we, we've already looked at how the Pope is the Antichrist. See the previous episodes on that. Well, hold your horses, buckaroo. <laughs> we have more material to help us along. So we've already seen... That John's gospel clearly teaches that Jesus existed before the creation of the universe, the Son of God, right? The Word that took on flesh existed from the beginning. Beginning, not anything that was made was not made without Him, right? The adoptionist teaching is that Jesus was, what is it again? Silos anthropos, mere man, who was adopted by God when the Holy Spirit descended upon him at his baptism, his adoption day. And so he can be called, called the Son of God as a matter of description. But nevertheless, he is still mere man. Now here's another, another fun theological term for us. Christus Deus Nun capitis. We can't let the Harry Potter fans have all the fun with Latin phrases, can we? No. Christus Deus nun Capitivus means Christ as God in name only. Christ as God in name only. Silos Anthropos, mere man, but we call him God as a title or a reference to who he is. Not that he's actually God. He's Christus Deus nun capitivis. Christ is God in name only. Heresy. The adoptionist view says Jesus, the Son of God, has one nature, not two. He's mere man, endowed with the power of God. So people will then rightly call him God, but he's not really. Mm. See the danger? But the Bible teaches that Jesus is one person of the Trinity, the triune God, one person with two natures, human and divine. He is the God man. The fancy term here is hypostatic union. The two natures of Christ are united in one person of the second person of the Trinity. This is the biblical teaching. And yes, it is mysterious and profound and so very hard to comprehend but it is nonetheless what the bible reveals about jesus he is both fully god and fully man he is the farthest thing from mere man let's go to matthew hopefully hopefully you still have your bibles in front of you matthew 16 13 to 17 Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, well, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. What do the people think Jesus is? Who do they think he is? Well, they think he's a mere man. Isn't that what John the Baptist is? Mere man. Elijah? Mere man. Jeremiah? Mere man. One of the other prophets? Mere man. That's what the people think Jesus is. That's who they think he is. Mere man. Because all those people are merely men. Humans whom God endowed with his word and the ability to perform miraculous divine deeds. Right? These guys, these Old Testament prophets, they were able to perform miracles. They were endowed with God's dunamis, his power. But none of them are God's only begotten Son. That's the importance of Peter's answer to Jesus' question. You are the Christ, the Messiah the son of the living God. (laughs) And what does Jesus say? His father in heaven revealed the true answer to Peter. See how adoptionism denies Christ's divinity? Instead of the eternal preexistent God becoming man, a created man becomes like God according to this heretical view. My friend, if Jesus was like God, we'd still have a major problem. What would we have? Our sins. We'd still have our sin problem, our death problem, our captivity under the devil problem. If God, if Jesus was not God, but silos, anthropos, mere man. Hebrews 1.3 three makes this quite clear. Hebrews 1.3 Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. He's not similar to God's nature. He's not a fairly good repus- representation of God, no. He's the exact imprint of God's nature. Jesus is man, yes, but not merely man. He is also God. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Okay, so let's get back to how the contemporaries of these adoptionist founders, these heretical forefathers of the adoptionist heresy, how their Christian contemporaries responded to their claim that adoptionism was the true teaching that had been perverted. We read in Eusebius, their claims might be credible if the divine scriptures were not opposed to them. We read in Eusebius that, okay, sure, their their claims might be credible if they were the original right teaching, if the Bible didn't say otherwise. Love it. Love it. People can make claims all day long, but if they contradict Scripture, they're not credible. Goodbye, claim. Hello, truth. We continue in Eusebius. And Christian writers, before Victor also defend the truth against both the pagans and the heretics of their own day. So we have that the Bible says their claim is false, and then all the forefathers from the apostles down to the late 2nd century when Theodotus the Fuller started teaching this false doctrine, all the faithful church leaders and teachers of that day also said what the Bible said. And Eusebius records for us, preserves for us the names of some of these faithful theologians and pastors. It says, I mean the works of Justin, Militiades, I can't say that name, Tatian, Clement, and many more, in all of which Christ is treated as God. For who does not know the books of Irenaeus, Melito, and the others who proclaim Christ as God, and man? Or all the earliest psalms and hymns that sing of Christ as the word of God and regard him as God? When the church's understanding has been proclaimed for so many years, how then is it possible that Victor's predecessors can have preached as these people claim? What a sound line of reasoning this is a great lesson in how to respond to heretical claims. What does Scripture say? That's the first place we go. And then what has the church, the faithful church, always taught? Now, the Unitarians to this very day will say that their view, the adoptionist view of Jesus, dates back to the Ancient Christian church. Yes, it does. All the way back to Theodotus the Fuller. That is where their view starts. They are accurate when they say that their view is ancient. It's an ancient heresy. We look to what Scripture says. Nope. Doesn't doesn't cut it. We look to what the early church has always taught. Doesn't cut it. How has the Orthodox confessors of the Bible, the biblical faith, battled against these false prophets and antichrists, and we see that again, doesn't cut it. I don't know why I'm making that sound, but hey, it's working for me. The lesson is know your Bible and know your church, church. Know your history. Know your Christian heritage. You have a heritage. It is ancient. In Eusebius, the question is asked, for who does not know the books of Irenaeus and Melito and the others who proclaim Christ as God? Well, in America, we can say many of us don't know Irenaeus, Melito, and the others who proclaim Christ as God and man because we are disconnected from our history. Take a look and see if you have a copy of Eusebius on your bookshelf in your library, your church library. Maybe your bookstore has it down. You're going to have a bookstore order it. Maybe you can find it on Amazon, whatever. Take a look at it. It's great. Get to know some of these ancient church fathers who taught what we teach to this very day, who teach the Bible alone, Scripture alone. Okay, so let's leave it there for a second. Take a break. We'll come back, and we'll talk some more about adoptionism. The life of the Christian church is a life in exile. We are grieved by various trials. False teachers and their deceptive teachings wage war against the truth. How can we believe and live as faithful and joyful Christians while we sojourn here? This is Pastor Timothy Apple, host of Sharper Iron. We're starting a new series, The Imperishable Inheritance. We will be going through 1 Peter, 2 Peter, and Jude. Join us every weekday morning at 8 on KFUO to rejoice in the imperishable inheritance that is ours in Christ Jesus. we do have such a rich heritage in the church dear christian there is so much for us to spend our time studying and exploring it's exciting to learn what's in the bible the accounts here revealed for us preserved for us written down for us so that we would have faith in christ crucified and and not just in scripture alone but even in the the generations after leading all the way down to our very own this time is full of amazing, exciting things to explore and to study, to equip our minds, excite our imaginations, and they all do bring comfort to our souls as they always bring us back to Christ and his crucifixion on the cross for our good. It's exciting to learn. For instance, we have an example of why someone, if you could fathom it, Someone who can study God's plain word could be tempted to teach adoptionism. So we go back to Eusebius, and he records for us that in the adoptionist heyday, Asclepiodotus and Theodotus, the banker, led astray a confessor of the faith named Natalius. They led astray a faithful Christian confessor. How do you think they did it, dear cross-defense listener? What might tempt someone to abandon the biblical belief that Jesus is not silos anthropos, mere man, but also truly God, and therefore truly our Savior from sin? How could someone who holds that view be tempted to, to reject it and teach a false doctrine, heresy. Well, Eusebius recorded for us that they persuaded Natalius to be named bishop of this heresy with a salary of 150 denarii a month. (laughs) Ha, 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 money. Follow the money. You guessed it, didn't you? I know you did. Why do so many people... Do many illogical and self injuring things. Money, money, money. Saint Paul says it in 1 Timothy 6 2 to 10. Turn there with me. 1 Timothy 6 2 to 10, starting at the end of verse 2. Teach and urge these things. If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness. He is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. But godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. (laughs) There it is. Paul laid it out. Now, we have one more citation from Eusebius about the original, let's call them Theodotusian adoptionists, (laughs) and it's going to prep us for finally talking about where we find this heresy alive and active today. We read from Eusebius, They have not been afraid to corrupt divine scriptures. They have rescinded the rule of ancient faith. They have not known Christ. They ignore scripture, but search for a logic to support their atheism. If anyone challenges them with a passage from scripture, they examine it to see if it can be turned into a conjunctive or disjunctive syllogism. These are these are terms for propositional logic. It's to say the heretics are doing uh, limgi- uh, linguistic gymnastics. That's it with the Bible. They're they're trying to do cartwheels to make it work, in an attempt to hold on to their their heresy, their false teaching. Abandoning the holy scripture of God, they study geometry, literally earth measurement. Geo as in earth. But I think geography and metry. Metric, measurement, right? A meter. For they are from the earth and speak of the earth and do not know the one who comes from above. Okay. (laughs) Good stuff here. This way of thinking or uh, not thinking, as the treatise in Eusebius says, I love that, hasn't died off, but is still around today in many forms. But as I've mentioned already, perhaps most popularly, as a teaching of the Unitarians. The title Unitarian is used as opposed to Trinitarian, in opposition to Trinitarian. See, they reject the Trinity. They insist that Christ isn't essentially, truly God, but is only called God. Remember that fancy Latin term? What's it called? Christus Deus Nun Capitivus. Christ as God in name only because, what's the Greek phrase? Silos anthropos. They view Christ as mere man. Remember at the beginning of the show how we talked about the definition of the word heresy? How it comes from the Greek to choose for oneself? And how this is really tempting to our American sensibilities because we're all taught to be independent free thinkers? This is how... Unitarianism got a foothold in America. The adoptionist heresy was suppressed by the Council of Nicaea. Well, by Victor first, right? But by 325, the Council of Nicaea is suppressing it, and it took another blow in 451 at the Council of Chalcedon. When the church affirmed that Jesus Christ was complete in Godhead and complete in manhood, truly God and truly man, in two natures, without confusion, without change, without division, or without separation, coming together to form one person. That's a quote from the Council of Chalcedon, complete in Godhead and complete in manhood. Truly God and truly man in two natures, without confusion, without change, without division, or without separation, coming together to form one person. Doesn't that sound like the Nicene and Athanasian creeds? Yes, it does. It's very biblical. That's why it sounds like that. Every time this heresy popped up, it was put down. The dragon was slayed, but a new one would emerge. Charlemagne condemned uh, this false teaching in 794 and so on and so forth, all the way down through history until we get to the Renaissance and the Reformation and a flood of false teachers take advantage of the decentralization of ecclesial authority. We were blessed with the return of the gospel, but with it came all kinds of free thinkers Fast forward to New England congregationalism in the 18th century. Each congregation was free to establish its own doctrinal statement and the right to, quote, seek more light. What happened? Congregational churches became asylums for religious seekers, religious seekers of all sorts, including enlightened rationalists with a rejection of miracles, which includes the incarnation of God. By 1785, most Congregationalist churches were Unitarian. This is a big deal for American Christianity. Do you know what historic university was founded for the formation of Congregational ministers? Yes, you do. You said it. I heard it. Harvard, right? Harvard. Of course, there was tension, as there always is in churches, when some want to remain faithful and others are leading people astray. So there was tension and disputes, And eventually, Unitarianism formed its own body, apart from Congregationalism. But Unitarians are not creedal. Makes sense, right? They can't really confess the three ecumenical creeds because those creeds declare the biblical truth that Jesus is the Son of God. That there is a trinity. Unitarians believe that the individual must be free to form his own religious beliefs according to his own reasons Magisterial conclusions, their own reason over and above the Bible. Judges 21 25 stuff, right? Everyone doing right in his own eyes. But today's adoptionists do hold to some key tenets. As I said, Unitarians agree in a denial of the Trinity, they reject the deity of Jesus, as we've been talking about this past hour. They also deny that mankind is sinful, and no surprise, they reject the authority of Scripture and all specifically Christian doctrines. Truly. As a whole, they are outspoken humanists, which is in complete keeping with their silos anthropos, mere man teaching of the second century heretics. It's all about man, baby. It's all about man. And so, yes, they... They are, as we read from Eusebius, from the earth, and speak of the earth, and do not know the one who comes from above. Their religious interests are focused on this world, and so we're not surprised to learn that they have historically been one of the most influential liberal groups in America. In 1961, the Unitarians and the Universalists merged to form the Unitarian Universalist Association, and in 2022, when I pull up the website for the closest Unitarian group in my area, we're making all this real, right? This is true stuff. We deal with this not just for ideology, but so we have a are equipped. We have a good understanding of what we're engaged with in the world. So you can do the same thing for your part of the woods, wherever you're at. When I look at the Humble Unitarian Universalist Fellowship, I find that their visitor page confirms... Everything we've learned from our study of adoptionist heresy, and then some. So here's what it says, for your edification as well as mine. Welcome to HUUF, Humble Unitarian Universalist Fellowship. Our congregation has the diversity of spiritual beliefs, cultural backgrounds, and sexual orientations that make Unitarian Universalism such a dynamic faith stopping already do you think do you think they use the word dynamic there intentionally with the relation to dynamic monarchianism i don't know they we continue we are a warm welcoming group of individuals and families wanderers searchers and leaders we are companions each on our own journey of spiritual growth just like we saw in the 18th century right in new England and together, we work to live out our faith in the world, focused on this world, exactly where you would expect to end up logically if your belief in the one we call the Messiah is that he is mere man. Christ is not silos anthropos. He is about God and man together, united Unitarian Universalism is a religion based on covenant, their website says, not creed or dogma, just like we studied, right? Covenant, covenant is a promise to stay connected. We stay connected to each other as we search for truth. <laughs> oh, man. This is 2 Timothy 3 7. All right, turn there real quick. Come on. We're, we're running out of time, but go ahead. Go to 2 Timothy 3. Paul here is talking about the last days and the godless people in them. Check this out. Verse 5. Having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power, avoid such people. For among them there are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins, and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. Always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. That's what they said. They're searching for truth, but they're never able to find it. Avoid such people. Back to the uh, visitor page here. And create meaning, each in our own way. We're all doing what was right in their own eyes. We participate in church community so we can be transformed and help transform the world. Notice this is bottom-up transformation. It's not top-down. It's, it's man's work, not God's work. Again, mere man. Their focus is on man, not on the divine. We are people of many beliefs and backgrounds, people with religious background, people with none, people who believe in a God, people who don't, and people who let the mystery be. We are Unitarian Universalist and Buddhist, Christian, Hindu, humanist, Jewish, Muslim, Muslim, pagan, atheist, and agnostic, believers in God, and more. (laughs) On the forefront of lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, and queer inclusion, we are people of all sexual orientations and gender identities. Okay, so, wow, friends, listeners, we see where the denial of Jesus' divinity leads. You can see how the heresy of adoptionism can be be compounded to the umpteenth power when allowed time and without check, with no one checking it, with no one trying to put it down. And with that, I hate to say it, but our time is wrapping up. I hope this installment of Heresies, Then and Now, (laughs) today's show of Cross Defense, as we've looked at adoptionism, has been edifying to you. And above all, that it reinforces the importance of the biblical teaching of who Christ Jesus is. He is our comfort because he is truly God and man. He's comforting to us as he truly is in the established standard of Scripture, not as heretics make him out to be. That's the truth. Ours is not Christus Deus nun capitivis, God in name only. Ours is not silos anthropos, man, mere man. Ours, our Christ, is the true Christ who is both God and man for us. Until next time, friend, this has been Cross Defense and I am your servant in Christ. Thanks for tuning in. defense is a production of kfuo radio find past episodes and support cross defense at kfuo.org